Hey everyone, this is Jamie Bateman. Real quickly, I wanted to share with you something uh, that's been pivotal in the growth and success of my businesses, and that is my partnership with Haven Financial Services. Um, I've been working with Haven for over a year now. Christine Valdez was on episode 70 of this podcast. So go check that out if you want to hear her story. It was a fantastic personal story for sure. But Haven has been awesome. They provide me with monthly reports that are super clear and discernible. And it, that provides me with clarity and focus so that I can do what I do best, which is running my businesses, not preparing financial reports. Um, again, if you're in the market for a top-notch financial service company, uh, or if you just want to check one out, go to www.jamiebateman slash Haven and check out Haven Financial Services. Again, that's jamiebateman slash Haven. I uh, can't recommend them enough. Christine and her team have been fantastic. So I definitely recommend you check out Haven Financial Services at www.jamiebateman forward slash Haven. Let's get back to the show. This episode is sponsored by the Integrity Income Fund, which is managed by yours truly and my team at Labrador Lending. The Integrity Income Fund is for accredited investors. It aims to pay an 8% preferred return and an 8.5% preferred return for early investors. It aims to pay out monthly distributions. There's a $25,000 minimum and only a one-year lockup. If you are an accredited investor and you're looking to get away from Wall Street, looking to beat inflation, and looking for an asset class that is backed by hard physical real estate, then look no further than the Integrity Income Fund. Check it out at labradorlending.com. So in this episode of the From Adversity to Abundance podcast, I interviewed Fuquan Bilal. Uh, Fuquan has been in the note investing space and real estate investing space for quite a long time. He's done a ton of different things. He's had a lot of success in the space. And uh, we, Chris and I had interviewed him on our Good Deeds show a while back, um, probably a year ago now. And um, when I started this podcast, Fuquan was one of the first people that came to mind as far as you know, guests I'd like to have on the show. We were able to to book him. And then I found out about some additional adversity he's been through. Uh, he posted something last week about an incident where he'd uh, been shot five times. So as a, you know, I think a 24 year old, something like that. So we get into that on this episode. And so in other words, I already knew he'd been through a lot of adversity, but I didn't realize anything about that incident. He's also lost $2 million of his own money in the 2008 crash. He went through a divorce. Um, and, and so I think he meets the uh, adversity threshold for the show for sure. And he's rebounded in a big way and he's doing a lot for the community now that he's from and some other communities uh, with fix and flips and multifamily real estate and uh, still doing some notes and things like that. So Fuquan is a, is an awesome guest, an awesome person, and he just has a lot of really good uh, perspectives. He keeps things in perspective and has used his adversity in a in a good way, um, not only for material success, but for kind of becoming a better person and adding value to other people. Um, I also had a personal takeaway from this episode, so uh, I hope you do as well, and I hope you get as much value as I did. 
out of it. Thanks, guys. Inspiring stories of real people overcoming incredible odds to live life to the fullest. We are all guaranteed to face hardships. How will we handle the adversity? Join us to be moved by everyday people who have turned poverty into prosperity and weakness into wealth. Be inspired as these relatable heroes get vulnerable. And former counterintelligence investigator Jamie Bateman puts his interviewing skills to the test. Restore your faith in humanity as you experience true Cinderella stories of average people turning surreal struggle and deep despair into booming businesses and financial fortune. Take ownership of the life you are destined to live and turn your adversity into abundance. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of From Adversity to Abundance podcast. I am your host, Jamie Bateman, and I'm really excited today. We have a special guest, Fuquan Bilal of NNG Capital Fund. Fuquan, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Today is the best day of my life. That's awesome. (laughs) (laughs) Talk about an abundance mindset. There you go. Um, Yeah, I know you you had some exciting things we were talking about right before we hit record so it sounds like you got a lot a lot of exciting things in the works and um you know I, i'd like to start off obviously this this podcast is about overcoming adversity and going through adversity and getting to abundance through um and that can take on many different forms but and i i know we a lot of our audience is familiar with you uh, we had you on the the Good Deeds podcast. Chris and I interviewed you a while back, and I know you have a lot of experience in note investing and real estate, and you know residential, commercial, first, seconds, all kinds of things. So, what I'd like to do is to start off, just give our audience a quick context of what's going on today uh, for you, as far as your business, what you're working on, what you know, what maybe your portfolio looks like, what kind of what you're doing right now. And then we'll back up and get into your backstory. Sure. Um, so now it's, um, as you did mention, Energy Capital Fund is the company. And our goal is basically we aim to provide financial solutions and quality housing to distressed environments. I come from North New Jersey, a lot of blighted properties, um, a lot of burnouts, drug infested area when I grew up in the 80s. And for me, we were sheltered from that area because my mom, you know, raised us in an Islamic community. So we had a lot of discipline and we were sheltered from away from that, which kind of gave us a different mindset. Um, and fast forward, you know, when I learned the real the skills of real estate, I wanted to go back to that community, add value, put those dilapidated properties back on the tax bill, give the residents a better place to live. Um, and that's what we do today. That's our, our uh, purpose um, purpose statement is basically, you know, having community mind- mindedness, financial viability, and providing win-win solutions. Um, and that's what we do for the township and also for the residents. So we run a fund, we raise capital to go into these uh, these areas and add value. And uh, we do some fix and flip stuff in high-end areas, and we do rentals as well. So it's a hybrid model, and that's what we raise capital for today. Uh, okay. There's a lot. Of, um, of people that's in a space that, especially with the affordable housing crisis, that's really not focusing on what's happening. And we that's what we focus on. Um, so, and, and um, we'll get into your background, but up slightly more on your 
current situation. Um, so, and again, you've done notes, all kinds of different things. It sounds like right now you're more focused on rehabs and less so in, on notes. Is that fair to say? Yeah. I mean, a little business is, is quite litigious. I mean, it's, I played in a niche market. I played in second space. Uh, when mm-hmm. I got into the note business, I went heavy in seconds. To me, it was a way to have an option on a property. Uh, I didn't want the property. I wanted the payment and I wanted mm-hmm. to give the homeowner reprieve and add value there. Mm-hmm. So that was a great opportunity for me to learn that from 2011 laptop cell phone business. You didn't have to deal with tenants, solids, trash, termites. Mm-hmm. Um, and then 2015, I started pivoting back into real estate and created a hybrid model where I was doing both. Um, we don't, we still do notes, but not as much volume because of, you know, what just happened with COVID and sure. moratorium and everything else. So we started pivoting to what we know we can have a, be- a better exit strategy and keep liquidity plus pricing is crazy yeah, right now. In it's insane. Space. So yeah, we didn't want to just be in a box. Sure. Know, I'm an old investor, you know, I'm a yep. real estate investor. So wherever I could deploy the capital to mitigate risk and make a profit is where we, what we're going to do. Yeah. So we still own notes. We still own, you know, a large portfolio of notes um, that mm-hmm. we're working through. But in new acquisitions, we're, we're strictly focusing on big multifamilies as a hedge against inflation and Got to it. really supercharge that cash flow. No, that makes a lot of sense. I know on our Good Deeds episode, you mentioned uh, Dave Van Horn was a mentor of yours. And I, and I I think I had brought him up on that episode because because of this point. It's like he's just done so many different things and he's got so many tools that he can rely on. So when the market conditions change, like you just spoke about, inflation increasing, note prices going through the roof, well... Now you can do this because you know how to do, you've got so much experience that uh, just gives you that versatility from a strategy standpoint. Um, So I love it. So for our audience uh, who's unfamiliar with your background, which I'm I'm guessing, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people know kind of what you're doing now. I see a lot on LinkedIn and your videos and stuff, which are awesome. And, you know, you're obviously adding a ton of value there, but I think a lot of our audience may not be as familiar with your background. I think you uh, maybe touched on some of that. And I, I read your one book. I think you talked about your background some in, in that book. Um, and you feel free to mention your books or whatever. But um, if you could walk us through kind of, you know, wherever you want to start, whether it's childhood or, or whatever, um, it doesn't have to be your, your birth, but walk us through kind of your background and we'll hit on some of the adversity you experienced uh, as a, you know, as you grew up. Yeah, so I was born in 1942. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> no, so yeah, I mean, this is really, um, really great for me because the book you probably referenced in is Passion for Real Estate Investments. That's the last That's right. book that I, that I wrote. And I kind of did go back and tell my origin story of how I became a salesman. And I like to start with that. So my mom, actually, single parent, raised us in North New Jersey. And um, she used to take us to the flea market on the weekends. And basically, that's where I became a salesman. She would go to Chinatown and buy wholesale material, gloves, scarves, the oils that you see the Muslims sell, incense. And we would have a, a booth that she would pay six, uh, $50 for the whole day for a six-foot table. And then we, myself and my younger brother, would sell these incense, gloves, and a variety of stuff that she had. Uh, and we would make $25 off every 100 so for me, that was my first uh, opportunity in sales, and I loved it. I, I couldn't wait 
to Saturday to go um, to this place and, and make money, right? Um, especially to help my mom who was struggling, help her get rid of all of the merchandise she had. You know, me and my younger brother became the best salesman we can be. We would literally go across the street from the lot and cut people off before they came to the lot to make sure we got that sale before they saw other merchandise nice. other vendors had. So that was my first um, foray into sales. And I just was addicted by it. And, you know, that led into other things, me getting uh, sell jobs later, becoming a telemarketer. Um, I actually got a job in corporate running sales uh, in California. I was the director of sales for a telecommunication company. I did that for a number of years, uh, then moved back for that same company, did customer service. And then around 90, 97, somewhere around there, when websites were new, we created a website division. I started doing some of that. Then uh, fast forward, actually went to work for a computer company, became their division of salesperson. And uh, my role there was really just going to the security and exchange site for the public companies that were uh, reporting the information on how much they were making, if they were real estate they own, and seeing where their balance sheet was, if they were doing bad. And my job was to convince them to sell the real estate and outsource all of their computer repair to us. Um, and that will increase their profits because we did computer repair on the um, through level, through replaceable unit level. And from there, actually, I started to um, shadow a cousin of mine who uh, did real estate. And after shadowing him for a few months, he literally just made half my salary at the time. And that was a wake up call for me. And um, I saw the writing on the wall in, in 99, early 99, I put my two week notice in. And a few months later, I, I made half my salary and started my real estate career from there in 99. So that was pretty exciting times. And, um, you know, I had an incident that happened to me probably about a year and a half of being in a real estate business from going to the community where I was from. As I mentioned, I, I got value out of going back and repairing those properties and putting them back on a tax roll, especially where I was from. I got the chance to stick my chest out and sit on back. I'm adding value. Mm -hmm. I'm not tearing down the community. Um, so uh, the circle of people that we are around, um, I was set up in a botched robbery because we used to pay people cash. Uh, it was a great learning experience for me. I was shot five times, nearly lost my life, made it through that. And when I look back on that, I always say that um, that's the best thing that ever happened to me because people usually look at um, certain adversities or different iterations of their life where they got divorced or they had certain things and they, why me and pity, pity, pity party. Mm -hmm. um, instead of looking at that as something that created a new path for you, right? Mm -hmm. So when I looked at that and uh, looked at it that way and used that as a um, to get to the next level, right, that kind of helped me. So and then I started to, with every adversity I had, look mm -hmm. at it as if it was a teachable moment. And how can I take this that pushed me to another path, whether it was 9-11, whether it was 2008, you know, when I lost money in real estate. Um, whether it was my divorce or these different things that I went through that helped build and shape and mold my character um, mm -hmm. to make me who I am today. So I'm grateful so, for the past that I went through. So on the, uh, the shooting, I mean, that's crazy. <laughs> um, certainly not something I've, I've dealt with. Um, so how old were you at that point? Can you give a little more context? Oh, to wow. what happened? I was young. This, this was, um, 
March 30 of 2001. Okay. Maybe 24, 25. Okay. Gotcha. Like yeah. And it was a bus robbery. We don't have to relive the whole yeah, detail, we, we but were, I'm just curious. I mean, to me, it's, I mean, I just posted something on social media. I actually mm-hmm. went to the location where it was at and kind of filmed, hey guys, this is where it went down. I was standing here. That's like, it's so uh, fulfilling to do that because it's such a release when I share it. Because for the longest, I never told anybody the story, what happened to me until I think it was maybe 2018. I was at a no expo event. Eddie Speed and those guys gave him an expo. And I was one of the speakers. Mm-hmm. And I had something that I was going to talk about. I had just um, launched a book back then called the Tire Kicker. It's a pamphlet, actually, like 50 some pages. And it's a mm-hmm. motivational book about, you know, getting through adversity and, you know, not beating around the bush and making it happen. Mm-hmm. And my, my talk was about the book. Um, and I just had this idea that came to me was saying this share you're a real mm-hmm. vulnerable experience and i did mm-hmm. that and it was such a relief so every time i get the opportunity to talk about it it just helps me really appreciate yeah. where i am today and and for that to happen it kind of put me on a path where i'm at now but yeah we used to pay in cash every week um to the to the local guys who didn't have bank accounts these are guys from the street we would hire them help them out give them money we're doing demolition jobs this particular day was my cousin's birthday. So we were leaving the office early. Well, he was leaving the office early. So we went around the sites and paid everybody. And I guess they didn't get the memo. So I was in the office by myself and the guy came in and, you know, I kind of, we were closed and I ran up on him like, who are you looking for? And he was startled. And, you know, through that process, I got shot five times and that was that. But yeah, oh. I, I get excited every time I talk about it because when most people will have, PTSD when I think about it. Yeah. To me, it's it made me the man who I am today. So I'm grateful for that moment. Uh, Cause I I'd reached out to you to get you try to get you on this on this show as I'm I'm kind of still launching it. And um and then I saw that you posted that <laughs> story after I we'd uh, connected and I was like, I was actually just telling my wife, I'm like, I think he said he got shot five times. I'm like, this is this is wild. Like not, not making a, I mean, it's very real. I'm not trying to make light of it, but I was, I didn't even know that was a, I knew you'd been through adversity, but I actually didn't know about any of that, that story. I mean, that's, that is wild. Um, so, I mean, on one hand, you know, it's, it's nice to say that you look at it as, <laughs> as a blessing or something. And I'm not saying you don't, but in the moment, I mean, how much time does that take you either with that incident or some other adversity to look at that as a teachable moment or learning, learning lesson. I I imagine in the moment, it's not, not enjoyable and you're not appreciating it per se. I could be wrong, but uh, how's that process work mentally? Yeah. So, I mean, where I grew up at, this was the normal, right? You, you care that this person got shot or this person got killed. It was just, you know, when is my number, right? Um, Being in this area. So it was the normal. Um, The people who got shot and made it through, they were, they were gangster, whatever that is, right? I already Mm -hmm. respected the shooter. I never respected the person who got shot. Mm -hmm. But um, for me, it was like, oh, wow. You know, I was just grateful that I was still there. Mm -hmm. Right. So um, it was shock. um, And then it was really, I felt like it was it was a setup. A lot of different things were going through my mind. So I was able to uh, remove myself from that element 
um, for a long period of time. And I went through a healing process, right? Mm. Uh, I went through trust issues. I went through a whole bunch of stuff. And it really took, I would say, probably about two years for me really to understand what happened and how did it help me, mm. right? Because it turned me into a beast, really, with the real estate. Because now that that next six months after I got shot, I was working from home. Except 9-11 happened that same year. Um, that September, I got shot in March. That September 9-11. Uh, it was all these different things that happened that just made me stronger. Um, made me more focused, made me more grateful. You know, I would walk around and say, this person is probably not even grateful that they t- can tie their shoes. They can bend over and tie their shoes, but I had staples in my stomach. So, or this person is not even grateful that they get to use the bathroom. And this small stuff, it yeah. really made me become grateful for the little things and appreciate mm-hmm. everything. Sure. And I was just like, wow, I never really appreciate this, appreciated the smaller things so much. Mm-hmm. really put the things into perspective. So yeah. that's when I became grateful for the situation and started to use that, um, you know, use that energy to kind of drive me through it. Mm-hmm. Same thing. Yeah. 2008 came and hey, I lost what happened $2 million in of my money. Well, I lost $2 million of my own money well, and basically had to press the reset button because after that, then I got divorced. And, you know, uh, that was the best thing that happened to me as well, because again, the circle of people that I was around was around me for the things that I had, not because of who I was. Mm-hmm. So that was a materialistic phase of my life um, that I went through coming from where I was at, didn't have anything, then getting into real estate, getting everything, feeling like God, you know, being materialistic, having the wrong people around you, right? Mm-hmm. Um, where if you're the smartest one in the room, then you know, that's the problem. So that happened where that kind of shifted, where I was able to, you know, again, get out of that circle I was in mm-hmm. and then go deeper within myself. So from that part, losing money, getting divorced, um, you know, getting custody of my boys, trying to get rid of whatever real estate I had to survive and everything else, going within myself. That helped me a great deal because I started getting into meditation. I started getting into a daily ritual and doing things to build up myself. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, And that really was a game changer for me also. Mm -hmm. So those two situations really build the foundation for for who I am today. So another situation I was grateful, even though I lost, you know, a bunch of money, really, it was really um, showing me that it was more than the money because I was a slave of money. I was chasing money. Mm-hmm. Right? I, I wasn't mm-hmm. when my former wife would say, Hey, let's push the stroller and walk get to the park. I said, I'm not doing that. That's your job. I got to go deal with these clothes and I got to do this and do that. I'm getting this money. I'm paying the bills. You do that. When the reality is, you know, as we know now, family is first, right? Your kids grow up really fast and you only have mm-hmm. 18 summers with them. So every moment you get with them from the time they born to you know, they become teenagers and start hanging with their friends. You want to, yeah, really uh, value those moments. You know, going yeah, my to the track meets, going to the basketball games. You know, my, my daughter's almost fifteen. I'm like, what just happened? <laughs> Whoa! <laughs> yeah, yeah, so I mean, things change at that point, and um, they get around their friends, different influences. So it's hard to kind of still keep that bond, right? Because you want them to become independent and go. You don't want to smother them, but Sure. Looking back on that, I said that was the best thing that happened to me because it kind of forced me to get custody of my boys at two and five 
two and seven, they're five years apart, um, and really become a better man, you know, become a father. And, you know, that's, that's the best thing ever where you can actually go and play four square with your son or, you know, kickball or do certain things or stay after school, right? When you, most parents, when they go to pick up their kids from school, they're ready to grab their kids, get them in the car and run. Mm-hmm. It gave me the ability yeah. to go to school, pick them up, and he go, Dad, I want to play with my friends Foursquare. Do we can we stay for another 30 minutes? I'm like, sure. And I get a book and sit on the bench and let him do what he got to do. And yeah. all you see out there is the moms with the kids in the strollers, no dads are there. So when I started right. to recognize that, I was like, wow, this is really good because now I see the only guy here who's really who has making the time to, you know, drive the kid to school and pick him up. Neither uh, my son is 14 years old now, and uh, my youngest son is 14. Mm-hmm. And um, we still have the morning walks to school and everything else. And so picking them up, dropping them off is important at times. So that yeah. was the best thing that happened to me because it allowed me to go deeper within myself, deeper within you know family. Yeah, I mean, that's and it's it really does boil down to priorities right and i'm speaking to myself as much as anybody else <laughs> i'm not lecturing anybody here um but we all have the same amount of time right and so you, you like you said you you made it you made time for these things because your priorities shifted mentally because of what you'd been through so since some of our audience they are investors real estate investors note investors just quickly what happened in 2008 from a tactical standpoint obviously the world you know, all kinds of financial industry crashed. Uh, but in your situation, what led to that loss of $2 million, if you don't mind touching on that? Oh, yeah. I mean, I basically, the way I had lending structured back then was the lender would give me 80% of the money. And this was back, this was hard money for 14% and two points. Um, so this was back then. And they would give me 80% of the money and I would put up. 20% in renovation. So when the market crashed, values went, you know, which was enough just to cover the lenders, mm-hmm. if that. And a lot of them, I had to do fire sales, meaning get rid of them more than one property at a time because things were selling 50 cents in a dollar. Mm-hmm. So what I had to do was become creative, just get rid of the debt instead of hanging on, hoping and praying. So these were, I didn't do any rentals then. Mm. I was just all fix and flips. And I knew nothing about being a landlord. I heard scary stories about tenants, so I didn't want to deal with the tenants. Mm-hmm. I was buying the properties and fixing them and selling them. That was great. And I didn't have any idea because I wasn't tapped into a real estate market what was happening. Mm-hmm. It was just, you know, got in the news one day, the banks, and, you know, you started hearing the buzzes, deals falling apart. You start calling attorneys. They saying that, you know, something in Wall Street. You turn mm-hmm. on the news, you see people jumping off of buildings. You're like, what the hell is going on? Right. Deals you had lined up to be closed are all falling apart. You know, and my private investors, hard money lenders, you know, started to take meetings with me. And what are we going to do? And, you know, please mm-hmm. don't file bankruptcy. Um, let's try to sell us. Let's work this out. So we were able to devise a plan and they worked with me to help me liquidate the entire portfolio. And, you know, obviously they were all rehab. And some mm-hmm. of them I, I did rent out, kept a few of them. But by the time it does settle, I was, you know, two million in a hole, hmm. lost wow. all of the money that I put in for renovation. Um, so, but I still have some of those lenders today. So Okay. Because they, they, they saw the character, I, I'm guessing, that Absolutely. you had. Yeah. yeah. 
And I, I didn't know how that would help me back then because I was mm-hmm. I was young and my accountant and everybody was in my ear, file bankruptcy. Why would you pay them? Just file bankruptcy and mm-hmm. rent the properties and collect the rent and milk them, you know? Mm-hmm. And that became the norm <laughs> during that yeah. period. People sure. just didn't pay the bank. They took the loan, got the money, you know, bought a boat house or whatever. And then when the thing went into foreclosure, they knew it was just a melees and they just rent a stuck a tenant in there, collect rent, didn't pay and short sell and all the slick stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, we basically created a strategy where, you know, I made them whole and I lost and I'm way mm-hmm. beyond where I was then. Where you, so, where you would have been. Oh, yeah. Okay. I'm way beyond that now. So um, I'm just grateful that that happened because that taught me a lot in that process. You know, how you, to... Sorry, to, go ahead. You know, how to really structure situations when it's... How to really structure deals in that situation. You had to become very creative. You know? Yeah. Well, that's what I was going to touch on. What, what have you changed tactically in your approach now uh, from because of that time? I mean, do you... Yeah, take on less risky investments, or do you you don't take on hard money, or what have you changed besides your your mindset and everything? But in in your actual investment strategy, what have you changed since two thousand eight? Oh yeah, so uh, different, more arrows in the quiver. I think that's the saying. So mm-hmm. just different tactics and strategies. So one of them immediately was I learned to know business, right? Mm-hmm. And I learned how to go above and beyond the REO guy and buy the paper at a discount where I can have a lower discount mm-hmm. um, and have an option. So that's why I started to buy seconds because now I can buy a second mortgage on a high value property, right? And have an option on the first. So I can foreclose, take the property subject to. Like we've, I knew about subject to already because that's how I got rid of some of the deals that I had. I would sell to investors and go, hey, you know, let me, you know, you can buy this subject to the first you know, we can work something out. So I structured a lot of my deals on an exit that way, got the okay from the lender to transfer the mortgage over to them. Um, so when I got into seconds, it was a no-brainer for me to understand how the subject to work. Um, and I still use that strategy today on acquisitions. And then um, tax liens, learning about, mm. you know, how to buy tax liens and foreclose from that point, because that's the highest priority lien in the chain. So I'm now having that fix and flip knowledge, knowing construction, how to do that, having the paper knowledge, knowing how to backdoor the bank and get it at a discount, knowing how to play the tax lien business on getting it and foreclosing Mm -hmm. and creating a hybrid model of diversity of these different acquisition points Mm -hmm. kind of helped me create um, or mitigate risk more. Sure. Now when I'm looking at a deal, I'm going, okay, um, let me underwrite this from a, a risk adjusted perspective mm-hmm. like so instead of just saying oh maxi ltv 75 percent and certain ways that i do my calculations now um and you never know nobody knew covid was going to come sure so what helped me there was the hybrid model so my fund uh has notes in real estate so when a tenant stopped paying i didn't mm-hmm. i just i had tenants some tenants paying because we had section eight majority mm-hmm. of our portfolio was section eight so me learning how to navigate through city programs, you know, my mm-hmm. portfolio, 85% of it was filled with that. So when COVID came, we collected rent because we had mm-hmm. Section 8 coming in, right? When we had performing notes, we jumped ahead of it. We used a lot of the strategies that the auto loan industry was using, got some of their content, repurposed it, 
dealt with our servicers, created a program that had them reach out when they started seeing delinquencies to reach out to the borrower and have and put that 60 day on the back and bring them current. You know, mm-hmm. you fell behind, no problem. We understand one month, two months, we can put that on the back and we continue to pay. We can adjust the payment. We can be flexible. Utilizing all those strategies to keep that cash flow coming in. Um, that's the answer to your question. So the things mm-hmm. I learned over the years kind of helped me. Yeah. Know, so diversification, way. having multiple multiple strategies, multiple options for each each asset. Um, and yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like because of 2008, you started to intentionally acquire knowledge about different real estate and, and note strategies. And um, therefore, you're probably better off than you would have been. Uh, like, you know, had you not learned all those things over the years, you would not have probably been in such a good position now uh, through navigating the the COVID crisis. Like you said, no one, no one could see that coming, but you were able to weather the storm. It sounds like because of partially because of the adversity you'd been through um, previously, sounds like, is that yeah, fair? And the connections, um, you know, back then I wasn't attending real estate events. Um, I wasn't in masterminds. I was the smartest person in the room. So I, I just, I, there was no growth. Um, now I attend masterminds where I'm not the smartest person in the room. Where there's people that's way above and beyond and have way more experience that I can tap into. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's really all I surround myself with are, you know, top notch real estate investors, whether mm-hmm. it's working on leadership skills, whether it's how to become a better CEO, different, different masterminds that I'm a part of that kind of helped me, mm-hmm. um, you know, become more than I am. And I think that's really something important that people don't want to invest in. I spend mm-hmm. over a hundred thousand dollars a year in masterminds. Um, I look at it like, you know, most people invest in school, right? They want to go and spend six years in school and get degrees to, to make more money, right? Mm-hmm. So, or to have a, a career. Um, but the synergy that you get from, um, you know, people in these masterminds are great. And these are like high-level masterminds, you know. What, uh, do you mind naming? Yeah, one of them is uh, Collective collective Genius. That's okay. a great heard real of estate that, yeah. mastermind. Um, the top-notch real estate investors in the U.S. are there. It's probably like 240 guys now, all different hmm. states. And you, we, it's from multifamily, short sales, uh, wholesaling systems process you name it you know that's mm-hmm. kind of really the best in the u.s that, that i'm aware of mm-hmm. as far as how it's structured and the content that you get there and the support you get there uh, from each other right so um you're paying for speed basically you know so you spend 30 grand a year or whatever and you have you can tap into these resources and connections so yeah. um you know there's plenty of masterminds out there i'm pretty sure if someone is listening to this, they probably had the idea of doing it. Like I really, five years ago, I wasn't even thinking about doing that because I didn't want to spend the money. I was like, I'll just right. go and buy the books and do it myself. I don't want to invest in that. But if I'm honest, it's kind of where I am right now. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> like, I know mistake. I should do it. I should, okay. Big mistake. Okay. Big mistake. Um, because most people look at it, right? Black and white. If I spend 20, 30,000, yeah. How much am I going to make out of it instead of who am I going to become? What yeah. relationships am I going to create? Sure. Right? Everybody look at it from the money point. What's going to be my ROI dollar wise right. if right. I invest this instead of right. my ROI internally, the relationships that I'm going to create, the people who I'm going to be around. Right. So 
No, so I appreciate, appreciate it. that. <laughs> yeah. I'm just looking at it from that perspective. It's, it's completely different. It's a, it's yeah. a game changer. Well, this episode was supposed to be for the listeners, but it may have been for me. <laughs> no, I'm kidding, but I appreciate the, the uh, you know, speaking truth because it's one of those, I, I know I should do it, but I just haven't pulled the trigger. Um, but uh, as we start to wrap up here, I'll just fire off a few questions at you and then we'll uh, close out. Um, what is a challenge that you're facing in your, your business right now that you're addressing? It's always three things. It's people, processes, and systems. Um, uh, I don't think balance is 50-50. It could be 70, 30, 60, 40. And to be quite frank with you, I look forward to the challenges because that's what helps us grow. Right? I mean, who wants not who doesn't not want to have challenges? Yeah. How did you get to who you are now without those challenges? Right? Every adversity brings growth. So yeah. I embrace them. Like I'm the guy when a building is burning down, running towards the building, not away from it. Love it. Yeah, yeah. sure. Okay. Um, and we've already touched on this, but what's in your opinion, what are some, a couple of important personality traits uh, that are required to be successful in business or real estate investing? Well, those are my core values, performance, accountability, transparency. I mean, you know, nice. that's my company core values. And I think, you know, you have those three, you're good to go. I love it. All right. How about a book you'd recommend for my audience besides one of yours? Oh, absolutely. Um, there's a great book. Um, I'll tell you often now. I'm like probably halfway through this. I'm on page 121. It's called The Obstacle is the Way. Have you yep. read this yet? I've heard of it. Ryan Holiday is a yeah. really great book. A lot of quotes from Marcus Aurelius in here. Um, you know, it's, it's really good. I've read his, uh, the, the ego, the ego is, uh, the enemy, I think. Yes. Yes. Um, yeah. That, I read that also. That's a good yeah. book. It says, sometimes you overcome obstacles by not attacking them, but by withdrawing and letting them attack you, you hmm. can use the actions of others against themselves instead of acting yourself. So there's hmm. a lot of good things in this book that is helping me really understand how to make those adversities work. Yeah, looking at that obstacle as this is something that's going to afford you impact. So that's the book I'm reading now. I definitely recommend. Love it. I appreciate that. Um, how about any podcasts you'd recommend? Are you still doing your podcast? Yeah. So what I'm doing now is repurposing a podcast. We actually have one we're trying to launch probably this quarter. Um, the Intelligent Accredited Investor Podcast. Okay. We also have the uh, Passion for Real Estate Investment podcast. So we mm -hmm. did over 100 episodes. Now we're just chopping the value up out of it and repurposing that. Uh, just taking a break from it. Um, you know, podcasts, as you know, you do one. It's, yeah. it's a bit overwhelming. It's um, a lot of work. <laughs> when you have a lot of stuff done. So yeah. we used to batch them and do them. I love them, though, because I learned so much for them. Yeah. But it seems like everyone wants to do them between the nine and five hours. And that's right. challenging for me, you know, running sure. teams, running operations. So when we do relaunch the interviews to go again, it's going to be, you know, weird times that people with true freedom can do it, you know? So I get people who have family and everything else, but, you know, I want to make it a time where, you know, we're not rushing and the podcasts are back to back and I got a meeting. So I got to right. rush this person off the pocket. So yeah, we still have, we have so much content out there. We're content yeah. rich. So we're just looking at what we have and saying, you know what, let's repurpose a lot of stuff. I don't think people got it the first time. It kind of glazed over them. Yeah. So let's take that 30-minute podcast and just get the five-minute nuggets. You know, we got three sure. five-minute nuggets in there. Let's repurpose that 
you know, maybe they go watch the episode. So that's kind of what we're doing now, building up our YouTube channel and different platforms by repurposing the small nuggets to gain interest so they can watch it. So, well, that's a good um, segue into really my final question is where can, where can the listeners find you online? Oh, just go to Google and type in Fukuan Bilal <laughs> yeah. on every platform, even TikTok by now. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. It's, it's, it's not difficult to find you online. <laughs> yeah. I'm an open um, book. I'm an open book, fully transparent, my core value. Love it. All right. Well, I did say that was my final question, but I'll throw one more. And what, is there anything that uh, I haven't asked you that you wish I had or anything else you'd like to share? That's not like an investor question. <laughs> That's the question. I see. The last question I get from investors. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I like for me, um, I, I think that uh, what I would leave to the listeners and thank you for asking that what I would leave from the listeners is, you know, people focus so much on goals, 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 right. It's so, it's so much more than that. Like, I don't know. Success is uh, a daily optimized experience, right? If you can create every single day that's sustainable over time, that's success and optimized daily experience. So really go deeper within, you know, create rituals um, in the morning make sure you do your exercise, your journaling, meditation, do what's right to set your foundation first. And that lines your whole day up, right? Love it. If it requires you to get up early, then do it. You know, that's for you, right? Miracle Morning, I don't know if you guys read that book. That's a great book also. Mm-hmm. You know, if you can get that extra two hours in the morning to yourself, it's just a whole game changer, right? Yeah. So that's what I can leave with the people. That's helped me grow. Um, so, yeah. I appreciate that. That's really good. Um, so, all right. Well, thanks so much, Fuquan. This has been really good. Um, there's, I think I'm going to have to listen to this a couple of times. You've dropped a, a few <laughs> truth bombs. And uh, I think personally, I need to seriously look at joining a, a mastermind or some kind of, you know, community to, you know, where I'm not <laughs> definitely not the smartest guy in the room, something that will push me personally to kind of uh, go to the next level, uh, not necessarily from a goals standpoint, but just from a human development and growth standpoint. So that's my takeaway for me personally, but I do appreciate you uh, spending the time. Cause like I said, I know you're, you're a busy guy. Um, so thanks for, thanks for joining us. You're welcome. And to the thank listeners you. out there also appreciate you all listening because your time is your most valuable asset. So we appreciate it. And if you could, please give us a, a rating and review and subscribe on all the stations. Thanks everyone. Take care. Thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of the From Adversity to Abundance podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode. Hey there, it's Jamie Bateman. Ever felt boxed in by life's challenges? Dive into my new book, From Adversity to Abundance, Inspiring Stories of Mental, Physical, and Financial Transformation, available now on Amazon. From a former bank robber's redemption to a young entrepreneur's victory over hurdles, 
These stories are not just inspiration. They're the roadmaps to your transformation. Whether for you or as a powerful gift to friends and family, especially those who might not tune into podcasts, this book is a beacon to a life of abundance. Ignite that inner fire and set your course to the life you've imagined. Purchase yours today on Amazon and light the path for someone you love.